Father, <clears throat> we are grateful for today and thank you for the privilege of being able to be here with the saints. Thankful for your word and how clear it is as we are able to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit that we can teach it accurately. Just ask that you would give us a clear mind as we concern the, uh, teach these things from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I had my um, PowerPoint and, you know, it has things happen, you know, it does what technology does. But I wanted to explain to you, <clears throat> I'll just draw a little chart here, the difference between pimple me filling and then plerao. So you have these distinctions in the dispensation of grace. Again, one of the things is uh, I, I don't really like to say, and it's, it's not a problem, that dispensationalism is misunderstood. Many people believe dispensationalism is a philosophy of eschatology. But that's not it. So when you come to dispensationalism, it, dispensationalism is a matter of letting the Bible say what it says and applying it to the people it belongs to. Right. And when you see that and you do that, you see that God dealt with different people at different point in times in different ways. And so this is borne out in a lot of different ways. And you can see it, for example, in this issue of spirit filling. So we've seen in the Old Testament that God came upon, the Holy Spirit came upon the Old Testament saints, right? And this happened all the way up uh, to the Gospels, right? During Christ's earthly ministry. But then you had this issue, and I'll see if I can bring that chart next week, of pimply me filling. So you had John the Baptist who was filled completely, mentally, by his, out from his mother's womb. Now, wouldn't it be great if that happened to every believer today? I mean, if every believer were filled out from their mother's womb, we would all probably get an A-plus at the BMC judgment. <laughs> Our works would really be a snap because that's what the problem is most of the time is that because we're not filled by the Spirit, we really don't live up to God's opinion of who he says we are. That's what's stopping it. So if we were filled by the Spirit in the way John the Baptist was, it would be a snap, but that's not the case. So then when you, when you get to Acts, we're going to see a line of demarcation as you get into the dispensation of grace where you have this kind of feeling where the Holy Spirit fills up what's lacking. He doesn't mentally control you, but he fills up what's lacking in the life of the believer. And that's the thing that's different. And so this is why you could say what dispensationalism is. It's letting the Bible say what it says and then making the distinctions that Scripture makes. Right. I'm a little leery of saying dispensationalism because there's so many things that are poured into that, that people have a different a bad view of it, right? And most of the time they think it's eschatology. Then you've got the hyper-dispensationalists that are thrown in there. And so when you say dispensationalism, that conjures up a lot in the minds of people, and a lot of it is not true, right? So I just say, let the Bible say what it says and apply it to the people it belongs to, and you'll see consistent distinctions made in Scripture. Now, that's where dispensationalism is derived from. It's the result of a proper hermeneutic. And so here you can see it, and we see it with this ideal of being filled by the Spirit. It's just so different. And <laughs> I don't know how anyone can deny it, but they do. I don't know that sometimes people deny it. I just think that they're ignorant of it. They do not see. It's like going down the, uh, Highway 50 here and not seeing that there are stop signs. And just driving all the way through and ignoring the stop signs, even though they're right there in front of your eyes. 
And so you see this with John the Baptist, and we're on page 10. He foretold of the Holy Spirit's ministry and the dispensation of grace in a parenthetical scripture that implied um, that was implied for the tribulation period. And so notice in John <clears throat> chapter three and verse 11, or excuse me, Matthew uh, three and verse 11. So, again, you have to be careful when you read in Scripture. And the first thing you ask when you come to a passage is context. Who is he talking to? What was going on here? You, you can't really just ignore the context. And so Matt, John, um, John the Baptist is preaching a baptism of repentance to the nation of Israel. We can see that. We can go back over to Acts 13 and we can prove that for a fact that he, this is what he was doing. <clears throat> and notice We'll pick it up in verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto him, unto them, O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay, so now if you want to apply John's baptism, you might want to apply this too. So I guess when we see people come into the church who we don't suspect are good people, we ought to say, you generation of vipers, why are you here? <laughs> right. I mean, this would be consistent. Right. It's funny because people apply what they want to apply and ignore what they don't want to apply. Right. And so he's talking to the nation of Israel here and he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water. And I would say, say that unto, I would really translate that because of that preposition there, because of repentance. Now, that's a huge thing. You see some people who, um, I think it's the Church of God, who believe in baptism, baptismal regeneration. And they believe that you can baptize people into a change of mind. And they believe that water baptism is necessary for you to be saved. And so, and I, and it's, I think a lot of it, is, it, it uh, hinges on this preposition here. Not unto repentance, but I baptize you because of repentance, because you repented. You had a change of mind and baptism uh, accompanied that change of mind. And so he says, I baptize you with water because of repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than me, uh, mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Now notice he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So actually, you have a parenthetical statement there. Uh, you can see that they weren't baptized by the Holy Spirit doing Christ's earthly ministry, right? Uh, neither were they baptized with fire. That's yet to come, right? That, and he's talking about something at, in, um, in the tribulation period. And so you have these parenthetical statements, and you have to stop and ask yourself now, okay, what's happening here? But he prophesied that there was coming a time when uh, they were going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And 
Just hold your finger there. We can see that very easily over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That that didn't happen until this dispensation of grace. And I would ask you, if you don't agree with that, can you show me a place in the Gospels where you find, found that this happened? <clears throat> in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12. For one, by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. See, that wasn't possible before the day of Pentecost. It didn't happen before the day of Pentecost. So now there's been a joining together in one body, Jew and Gentile together. That did not happen before Pentecost. And you can go back to Acts 11. In Acts 11, the church was still wholly Jewish, and they were told to go to the Gentiles, and they did not even want to go to the Gentiles. So this couldn't have been possible then. So you're just asking questions and looking at scripture and seeing where does the evidence take you. And so it takes us to the fact that they this statement was made and it was potential, but it didn't occur because of um, um, their rejection. Now, notice men committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit during Christ's earthly ministry. And we talked about this last Weak that blasphemy is attributing to God something that is not true. In this case, one would be attributing to demons the things that the Lord did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this cannot happen today. Do you realize that? And there's a lot of people who are running around thinking, I committed the unpardonable sin. Well, it's not possible. During Christ's earthly ministry, this could have happened. As he did these miracles... These people were attributing these miracles that he performed by the power of the Holy Spirit to Satan or Beelzebub, you see. That's what they were saying, that that's how he was able to do that. And then he said that anyone who said that would um, would uh, commit the uh, would not be forgiven of that uh, in that age or the age to come. Now, the father played a role in Revelation during Christ's earthly ministry in which the Ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit's job today. Again, remember, what did we say? You let scripture say what it says. You apply it to the people it belongs to. Then don't look at what's similar. Look at what, what is what? Different. Different. And so then you, you apply, and Don's been dealing with this, um, and studying the Bible on the third Saturday of each month, similes. And there's logical fallacy. A logical fallacy is that similarity is identity. Now, let me give you an example. Me and Joyce were going down the highway one day in my truck. I saw a car that was just like hers. Now, you can see how crazy people are today. Because what if I said, and I did joke to Joyce, somebody has broken into our house and stolen your car. (laughs) They're driving down the highway. But I guarantee you, if I had caught that person and stopped him, I could have looked at not what was similar about her car, what was different. The moment you accept similarities as identity, you will be a heretic. You will be a heretic. And that's what's happening, by and large. And so, now, why did I say that? 
Because when you come to today, during Christ's earthly ministry, the Father was the one that drew men to Christ. The Father did. And we have a scripture that says that. Now, when you get into this dispensation, who is it? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one. Now, you say, oh, that's just too much. Well, it's not your program. It's not your program. It's God. And can he change up if he wants to? Well, you change what you do every day, right? I mean, it's just an amazing thing that people get upset and they refuse to accept changes because they don't like it. And so we'll see this. Now, notice the father was the one who revealed the truth of who the son was to men. Now, you see this uh, as an example over in um, Matthew 16, 7. 17, Matthew 16, 17. And so here we are in um, Caesarea Philippi, and you have this um, famous question that the Lord Jesus asked the disciples. And he says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And he said unto them, he's talking to the twelve, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so the Father was the one who opened their eyes to see who the Son was. We have an accompanying verse that shows you that as well. Look at John chapter 6. So you might want to ask yourself, then, why, why does he change this up? What's the reason behind it? I don't know that we always know the reason it's, I believe, it, more than anything, it's what God is revealing at that time. And you have to hold on and stop thinking that we have to see everything from a human point of view and that it has to make sense to us. If you hold that view, you will never understand a lot of things. God has not revealed everything to us. It's not, everything is not for us to understand. It's his show You know, we haven't said to someone, it's your life, I'm just living in it. (laughs) Well, that's a fact concerning God. We're just a part of it. And if you just chill out and just let God's program be what he wants it to be, you'll be okay. Now look at John chapter 6. Now notice in verse 38. We'll start with verse uh, 37. All that the Father has given me shall come to me, and, in, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. 
Now we'll read down through 44, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. What? Draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I haven't really looked into this, but I know that there, you notice the correlation here of the father. He's the one that's drawing people, doing uh, the ministry to the, the Jews. And that could be the correlation uh, as to why there's a change. And as you get over into this dispensation of grace, it's something completely different in which the Holy Spirit is the one that is doing the work of opening the eyes of men that they might be able to see or to come um, to the Lord. And so the word for a draw, the Greek word is helkuo, which is used in scripture of dragging or pulling someone, uh, something or someone. The word is used in Acts chapter 16 of Paul and Silas being dragged into prison for the casting out of a demon possessed girl. And so the disciples, as they took the gospel out to the world, were to baptize in the name of each of the persons of Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now notice this in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> now, I, I would say that this is probably one of the most misunderstood passages um, in, in Christen, Christendom today. Um, and so a lot of people don't really read this as it really is and should be read. And so in Matthew chapter 28, notice in verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, really that word power is exousia, it's authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so notice you have that passive use of the word given. He, he obviously didn't have it, but he gained it now. And notice he says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded of you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And what world is really the end of the age. So now, if you could retranslate this, you have some um, uh, passives here, uh, or some uh, things going on here with the language that really, let's translate it this way. Having been made to go, go, disciple, all Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded unto you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so here, I really think that that's what this is talking about is the edict that was given to the disciples that they were made to go. And I think that that's why that's in the passive form. And so let me show you something you could put right there with this in Acts chapter 11. They did not want to go to the Gentiles. Do you realize that? They didn't want to go. Um, and so even later um, in um, the 
early on in the history of the church, they were still struggling with this. Even after the, um, the conversion of uh, Cornelius and his household. So we picked this up in, in Acts chapter 11. So here is Peter, and he's talking to Cornelius, and notice in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the, whole, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John, indeed, baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For so much then, as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So you think it's a done deal. Okay, it's all settled. Now, the Gentiles and the Jews are all together in one body, right? No, wrong. Watch what he says in verse 19. Now, they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word... To none, uh, to none but unto what? Jews. Jews only. Now, isn't that what it said, or do we have a mistake here? I think you can see that in Greek, English, whatever language you want to read it in. And so they were bent on only going to the Jews. Even when you get to the first church council in Acts chapter 15, you know, what did they decide? Okay, should the Gentiles be under law? No, they're not going to be under law, but... Here, we'll give them these things in order to abide by. And there was still a separation there. It took a long time for the Jews and the Gentiles to coalesce into one body. And um, the Jews were drug along, kicking and screaming doing, to do this. They didn't want to do it. They did not want to do it. And to ignore these kind of distinctions in Scripture, it's huge. I don't know how you can get to a correct doctrine when you ignore these kinds of distinctions. Your theology is going to be haphazard, and it's going to trip a lot of people up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Christians that still want to practice Judaism. Judaism. Of course. Judaism. You know, they want to be like Jews and, and be under the law, but be Christians too. Of course, I mean, and it's a real problem today, and, and uh, Don raised that question on Saturday. He said, well, what scripture would you use? Um, to uh, prove that that's not the case. Well, hold on. I'm glad you asked that question. Look over at Romans chapter 11. <laughs> Here's one of the places you can show that. Chapter Romans chapter 11. So in Romans, Paul in the uh, 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter, he brings, coalesce all this together to show you what is happening to the nation of Israel versus the church. It's just it's so clear. I don't understand why this is a problem in the church today. And you've got these believers today who believe that the church is subservient to the nation of Israel, that the Israel is still in the place of blessing. Well, you read this scripture and tell me if that's true. Notice in Romans chapter 11 and notice in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Oh, I didn't say that, did it? Oh, maybe we just misread it. That can't be what it's saying. It's saying that Israel is still in the place of blessing. Well, you read chapter 11 and you'll see that Israel has been grafted out of that place of blessing. 
And the, the Gentiles or the church has been grafted into it. And why people, it's just pure superstition that you have people running around wanting to follow the Seder, eat the Seder meal and do all of this stuff, these messianic churches that they have. It's just pure flesh, religious superstition. And so notice he says, verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. It is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So God's promises to Israel are still intact. We're not replacement theology where you have people within the church who believe that the promises made to Israel have been replaced by the church. That's not what we believe. We believe that we're in a parenthesis, this dispensation of grace that wasn't expected. And now God's doing something differently in which he's taken Jew and Gentile together. And on the other side of this, he's going to start dealing with Israel again. And so that's what's happening and so the disciples, as they took the gospel out to all the world, were, were to baptize in the name of each of the persons of the Trinity. And so we're on page 11 at the top of page 11. And the Holy Spirit was involved in the Lord's final admonition to his disciple, disciples. And so he gave them commandment uh, before he departed. And you saw that uh, the Lord foretold of the future baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. Now, notice in Acts chapter one before he he departed. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> and so this is something completely different. And when you look at the implications of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's intertwined and tied together with who we are. And so that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now we are identified together with Christ. And as a result of that baptism into the body of Christ, now we have power to be able to live the kind of life God wants us to live. That didn't happen before the dispensation of grace. It wasn't even possible. And so notice um, in Acts chapter one, as they were getting ready to leave. In verse four, and being assembled together with them, he um, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard of me for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days hence. So if he's telling them here, they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Logically, can't we reason that no one probably was baptized by the Holy Spirit up to that point? Would that be reasonable to conclude? So if no one was baptized by the Holy Spirit up to that point, how could anybody from that point backward have been regenerated? How could they live the kind of life that you and I are living today? How was that possible? And so all of the premises, many of the premises of a lot of the teaching in Christendom is based upon these false premises. And they're leading people off a cliff, teaching things that are not true. And, you know, we don't have a big enough megaphone to say you're wrong. But we just keep on teaching and God does what he does. <laughs> and so... Notice, so you have this reception of the Holy Spirit made possible after the day of Pentecost. Uh, notice in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Now, notice in verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, 
upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so notice with this relationship to Jesus and his humanity, the one who died and was and uh, notice the fact that he was raised. And verse three, and they laid hands on them and they put them in hold of the next day, for it was now eventide. How be it many of them which heard the word believed? And the number of the men were about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Ananias, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or what name have you done this? And notice now, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, you elders and uh, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And so notice you begin to see this ideal of being filled by the spirit. And it's something that is unique um, um, to what's happening in this inter, um period here. And you're going to see it actually transition uh, even over to plurao. And uh, we'll try to um, make that point to you. So he is uh, advanced as a witness of the sufferings of the exhortations of Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the door was open to believers being filled by the spirit. And so the, uh, the filling of the spirit now became a prerequisite of you being saved. Now, when you go back um, into you draw a line of demarcation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom from the heavens. John doesn't never ask about being filled by the Holy Spirit. Or the relationship of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that in Matthew chapter 3? Well, let's look. I'm glad you asked. You say, I don't know, Kevin. Let's look over there and see. Well, thank you for asking that. Chapter 3. Yeah. Now, in Matthew 3, he tells them... um, Again, we just saw this, that I baptize you with water, and again, because of repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you, future, with the Holy Spirit. Were they baptized by the Holy Spirit here? But notice in John chapter 3, what the Lord says to Nicodemus. Now, he's going to tell him something completely different here. In verse 4 of chapter 3, the Lord says to Nicodemus, um, well, let's go back actually in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. This tells you that people can know the truth and still not accent to it. And you, Haven't you talked to people? You know that they know the truth. And because they're either they're either benefiting by making money or they're cowards or whatever reason, they don't want to tell the truth. And I think here it was they were cowards. They didn't want to come out because you see in John nine, if anyone were confessed that Jesus was who he said it was, they were going to be put out of the synagogue. And you got people who have that thing going on. So they love they love the praise of men more than they love the word of God. So notice. We know you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Except a man be born again, he is he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, did you see John the Baptist say anything about rebirth over there concerning the kingdom from the heavens? Did he even mention that? Why did he not mention it? Now, it should be important, right? And so you've got two different kingdoms that he's talking about. Here he mentions the kingdom from God, and then you have the kingdom from the heavens. <clears throat> and so notice, and Nicodemus said unto him, and he tells you the context here, and this is totally by the Holy Spirit, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born out from water, that word of, as I would say, out from water, and notice he's going to say, and I would translate that, and even from the, the Spirit, he is not able to enter into the kingdom of God. Do you know that every person that entered into the kingdom from the heavens were not saved? That God made a, a covenant to Israel and they, there were mixed believers and unbelievers? But every single person that enters the kingdom of God is saved? Every single one of them? And so, and the Holy Spirit's the one that does this. Now, notice the door was open uh, to believers being filled by the Holy Spirit. And you see, Saul was filled by the Spirit. Uh, Barnabas was filled by the Spirit. Those led by the Lord were filled uh, by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we showed you the scripture where the Jews in transition resisted this. But let's show you again another scripture where you can see that. Notice in Acts seven fifty one, Stephen just tells them point blank that you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can see this today. I mean, um, you have a lot of people who believe that they have the power to do things. They come up in their minds about what they think they're going to do for God. I remember, and she'll never forget, Tanya Harding back in the day when she had the controversy, said that she was dancing for Jesus. Well, hey, I don't know. <laughs> Skating for Jesus. I, I don't know about that. But I do know that one of the things that God wants us to do is manifest the life of his son. If she said that she was going to do that in Skating for Jesus, then maybe so. But I do know that people are making up things and they resist the Holy Spirit's power to do what is needed to do. And so notice, you see Stephen, he's talking to these Jews, and here's how to win friends. You can write a book on this, Carl. How to win friends. Here you go. Here's the language you can use. And so he's telling them about the history of the nation of Israel, and then he just says, okay, I'm going to dispense with this and just cut to the chase. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. <laughs> You do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been betrayers and murderers, who have received the law. And here's another scripture you can use to show someone. And I would put this with John seven nineteen and Acts 15, 10 that Israel didn't keep the law. This is what I find amazing. These people today, we just have revisionism. You got all these people say, oh, you got to keep the law. You got to keep the law. Well, the people that were given the law didn't keep it. <laughs> this is just, it's just craziness, right? 
He says, who received the law by the disposition of angels. And I don't know, I'm wearing my glasses here because I can't see. So maybe I still can't see. And what did he say? Have not kept it. They did not keep the law. And so it's just, you know, they weren't able to do it. And they tried to do it in their own strength. And this is also the thing that you see today in this dispensation. And it's why it will end in failure. People believe by their own strength, they can show God, look at what I've done. By my strength. And when they get to the Bema Seat Judgment, for those people, and I look at some of my works that I did, and I keep telling you out in Portland, I think those, some of those works is going to poof. <laughs> go up in the blaze of glory. You might want to stand back. You might get singed. <laughs> it's going to be poof. And so uh, the Holy Spirit was, uh, it was necessitated in the, um, the uh, he necessitated the aid uh, of the apostles. Um, well, let's look at Acts 8 there. I do want to show you something. And just, it's interesting. And of course, he's done a really good job of going through here. Just a transition of how the Holy Spirit even worked in the early church versus how he's working today. So straight uh, off the bat, there are no apostles today. I know I've seen people. Sorry, Rick, that's off the table for you. (laughs) I know. Well, we, we can do this. Let's do this. We can go down the list of the apostles in the phone book, and we can go to 2 Corinthians 12 and say, hey, the apostle could do three kinds of miracles. Let's go to the hospital and see if you can do them. And Yeah, right. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to wait. You don't have to put on a show. Let's just go to the hospital, right? And so um, here you see that the, the Holy Spirit... Um, it was necessary in the early church that the Holy Spirit had to um, be conveyed onto someone after they were saved. And the, the apostles had the, the power or the authority to lay hands on people and they would receive the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen today. You don't need an apostle today to do that. And so notice, and we'll pick it up in verse, um, let's pick it up in verse 14. So here you find Philip is in Samaria and he leads these people to the Lord. And notice what happens. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So this is why the book of Acts is probably a book where you have a lot of people get engaged in a lot of heresy. Because... They see something happen in Acts. So it's got to be happening today. Well, you know, that's not true. And so they don't see that this is a book of transition. That you're transitioning from the earthly ministry of Christ into what we understand now as the church. And there were things that happened in Acts early on that never happened again. And this is one of them. Did anybody lay hands on you guys when you to receive the Holy Spirit when you were saved? Anybody here have that experience? Well, you just, you're missing out. (laughs) Because if this is true, then obviously none of us has the Holy Spirit today. 
But we can see that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1. So he comforted the early saints. And notice in Acts 9.31. Now, you see, Paul, um, after his conversion, everybody could take a breather. In verse 29, and he spoke boldly, uh, boldly talking about Paul, <clears throat> in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians. <clears throat> but they went about to slay him. And when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and they were edified. Um, notice, excuse me, and walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort, or the uh, parakaleo, the encouragement from the Holy Spirit, and, and were multiplied. You know, God can comfort your heart like no one else. I just love when we were in Second Corinthians um, 1, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in what? And we'll see it in our series on Sunday. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. And why does he do it? So that we, with the comfort where we were comforted by, might be a comfort to others. And I think that the Holy Spirit, you see here that the Holy Spirit was the one that was able to do that to the early church. And notice he began a ministry with the Gentiles. Uh, notice in Acts chapter 10, and Courtney has been dealing with this on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> and so now you see this transition taking place, right? Now you see the Gentiles are brought into this entity called the body of Christ. One of the things is that God did not, when Satan rebelled, God did not just sit around and have a board meeting with the spirit beings and said, okay, fellas, this is what's happened. Satan's out, and this is what we're going to do. He didn't do that. He just started um, unfolding his plan. And so they're learning. Right. And now you see this stage, this act continue into another uh, situation that I'm wondering, what, did, what are the angels thinking when they're looking at this unfold the way that it is? So the Gentiles were before. Remember Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman comes to the Lord. And the disciples said, tell her to go away. She's crying out after us, right? And then what did the Lord say? It's not right to take the meat of the bread, or the food of the bread, and give it to what? Dogs. Little lap dogs. Uh, not really dogs. And then the woman said, but yes, sir. And she showed faith, and that's why he responded. Even the little lap dogs eat the food from the tables. And he saw her faith, and that's why he responded to her. But up to that point in time, the Gentiles were seen as separate. Remember, Acts 14, God allowed the Gentiles to walk in their own ways. Well, just hold your finger there and we'll look at that before we read chapter 10. In times past, God allowed the Gentiles to walk in their own ways. So Paul, when he was at Lystra... And they tried to worship him as a god. He refused it. And notice he said in verse 15, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? 
We also are men of like passions with you, and we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered, or really permitted, all nations. And we see that word for nations is the word uh, ethnos. We, we have that. It comes straight through in our English vernacular, right? Ethnocentric, someone who's proud of their own race, Right? And so this word for nations is that translation of the word ethnos. All nations are Gentiles to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, when did this happen? Now, I would take this back to Babel, the Tower of Babel, when all men tried to turn, they turned away from God. And then he took one group of people uh, that came, became known as the Hebrews and the Israelites, and he started working with that small group of people Paul tells you, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy tells you in Deuteronomy 7 that he chose those people because they're the smallest people to show the rest of the Gentiles that the God of, of the Jews is greater than the gods that they were serving. And he allowed the Gentiles to walk in their own ways. And that's what this is pointing to. Verse 16, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, notice he didn't just leave them without anything. Verse 17, here they had it. Nevertheless, he, he left not himself without a witness. In that he did good, and he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So what were the Gentiles? Well, let me show you one other scripture before we go back to Acts 10. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that word unto, I would say, because of good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Verse 11, wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh. Now he's talking to the Gentiles in the church <clears throat> who were, are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time you were without Christ, right? You were apart from Christ. So tell me, how can we go back to the Old Testament and claim all of those promises? Can you tell me that? <laughs> it's just, this is why I don't have any hair anymore. I've pulled it all out. That at that time, you were without Christ. Notice, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were, you were not a part of the politics of Israel. Now, notice he goes on and says, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. So how can I go back to the Old Testament and claim the covenants that God gave to Israel? How can I? We were strangers from those covenants. And notice, and notice, he goes on, having no hope and without God in the, wor in the world. That pretty much sums it up, right? So notice what happens. Now in Acts 10, what you see is that he's bringing the Gentiles into this group that is with the Jews called the body of Christ. It had never been done before. And the Holy Spirit played a big role in this. Now notice in verse uh, 44, while Peter spake, yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word. Now, this again, he's in the house of Cornelius. And uh, he, he remember the story that the Holy Spirit sent for Peter to come to Cornelius. 
and to um, give this word to those in the household of Cornelius. And so the Holy Spirit fell on all of them uh, which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And so you have this transition of the Gentiles with the, into the body of Christ. And so here you have this transition. And I, it didn't just occur and that was the end of it. I think it took a long time for this transition to set in. And you had the Jews who still wanted to go back under law. This was where the book of Hebrews was written. They were still wanting to go back under law, some of them after they were being persecuted. It took a long time for this to settle in where the church was complete with Jew and Gentile together. And so the Holy Spirit played a big role in that. Um, on page 12, the Holy Spirit spearheaded Paul and Barnabas's apostolic journey. Uh, he guided uh, them which places to go. Uh, now notice in uh, Acts chapter 16, this is very interesting because <clears throat> they tried to do something and the Holy Spirit said, no, nope, no, nope, you're not going to do that. And he just closed the door uh, on it. And notice in Acts chapter 6, six or 16. Uh, 16, I'm sorry, in verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach, he's talking about Paul and Silas here, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they were come to my Asia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. Already, that word for suffered or prevented in verse 6 is that he hindered them or caused them uh, to cause them not to be able to do it. And so the Holy Spirit suffered them not. And you can see that sometimes even today in this dispensation where the Holy Spirit is saying, nah, you want to go do something and the Holy Spirit shuts it, closes the door. And what do people do? We get crowbars and start fiddling with the door. <laughs> we try to get a sledgehammer to knock it down. And the Holy Spirit, nope, nope, you're not going through that door. And so here's what happens with Paul and Barnabas. And then in verse 9, they saw a vision that appeared to Paul in the, in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us out. And so and God used that in that time. Now, you're not, not saying you're going to see a vision. Uh, hopefully you're not seeing visions. If you do, you may, might want to get some help. <laughs> uh, he warned the apostles of trouble. Uh, notice in Acts chapter 20 and verse 23, you see Agabus comes in uh, through the Holy Spirit, warns Paul uh, not to uh, go to Jerusalem. Um, actually, it's earlier in that, it's actually later in uh, 21. But Paul actually gives the indication of it here as he talks about it. Um, let's pick it up in verse 20 or 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with tears and temptation, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, 
save the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide with abide me or wait, await me. Uh, you know, man, if you're not filled by the spirit, I think I would say, oh, I'd have been like, uh, <clears throat> you know, not everybody did it. John Mark. Remember John Mark? Whatever happened in Pamphylia, it was too much for him. He said, I can't take this. He turned around and, and he deserted Paul and Barnabas. But Paul says, the Holy Spirit showed me what was going to happen here. <clears throat> and yet, um, he went ahead and did it anyway. And I think in 21, he tells you that he shouldn't have done that. The Holy Spirit really used other people to tell Paul not to go. He guided Philip to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. Notice in uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse uh, 37. I'll go back a little bit. In 31. <clears throat> and so Philip meets this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's on his way um, uh, to Jerusalem to worship. And in verse 31, and he said, how, uh, he asked him, he goes up to, now I really believe this is a good example of how an evangelist works. So the Holy Spirit takes this guy, he puts him in the place of somebody he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know this guy from Adam. Notice in verse 30, he goes up to the chariot in verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, understand thou what thou readest? And he says, how can I except some man guide me? And he said, and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in the place of scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaks the prophet uh, this of himself or some other man. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went their way, they came to a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, thou may and he answered uh, and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so Philip baptized him and noticed down in verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that eunuch, uh, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Mm-hmm. And you see the, the uh, Holy Spirit and how he dealt with Philip. And I believe this is probably how he deals with uh, your evangelist today. I believe an evangelist is distinct from others and that they have the ability to go up to people they don't know. Now, I'm sure you've tried going up to people that you don't know, and it hasn't ended well, right? Most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Uh, it, It doesn't, well, see, and that's the thing is that, you know, many times people believe that you can do that. And they're just playing the percentages. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're either planning and somebody else is going to water 
or God's going to give the increase. But I do believe that person will respond to what you're saying in some shape, form or fashion, fashion. And so you have that. And then he directed Peter to welcome the men from Cornelius's house, which we saw. We'll stop right there and we'll come back at this point next week.